Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now it's time for our uh, Friday morning coffee break and uh, joined in the studio next door by our own Steve Tynan of Live 95. Uh, we have Carl McCarthy on the line from the ICMSA based here in Limerick and Audrey Galvin, who is a lecturer at the University of Limerick in journalism. And you're all very welcome. And Audrey, interestingly, in the context of uh, some terrible stories we've heard in recent months and again this week, you're doing your PhD uh, as an investigation in how murder-suicides are handled by the Irish media. Isn't that right? Uh, good morning, Joe. Yes. Um, so I just recently had an article published in the Irish Examiner which focused on the media treatment of murder-suicides and it just really asked that we kind of read between the lines. Um, so I've been examining the representation of a couple of cases of murder-suicide, so the Ellen Hall case, um, the Michael Greeney case and the Jonathan O'Driscoll case in Cork in, in particular. And really what I found is that the media tends to put forward, they're very quick to put forward a causal reasons for it. So they'll, they'll point to mel- mental illness as being a reason, um, to financial debt, to um, perhaps a, a, a perceived fall from grace that the, that the perpetrator was about to experience. Um, and I suppose... You know, trying to consider these in isolation is not the only reason that a murder-suicide occurs. So, for example, somebody who has a mental illness is not necessarily going to go out and, and murder members of their family. Um, and so it's a little bit simplistic sometimes to view it through those those singular prisms. Um, and, and I think it's important as well to encompass the fact um, that these are, in effect, it's the most extreme cases, forms of, of domestic violence and coercive control. Um, and and they are very, very rarely featured in in uh, news reports about cases of murder-suicide. And it is something that needs to be considered a little bit further. Um, the media tend to follow a specific pattern in terms of coverage of these types of cases. Uh, so we have that sort of tragic frame or that tragic representation. Uh, we have praise for, um, and, and also an overemphasis on the perpetrator, um, so, for example, we saw that Alan Hall was described as a great community man. Uh, we were told Michael Graney in Cork, uh, you know, had recently served communion. And it sort of beatifies them in a way and, and points to the fact that, you know, well, had they not snapped or had they not had a mental illness or had they not had, you know, financial issues, then they would never have considered, they would never have committed these acts. Right. And Colin McCarthy, it was interesting to hear the Taoiseach yesterday, and I think he's the first person in public life I've heard talk about this, and maybe you, you'll be aware of others recently, about Ireland's gun laws in the mm. context of some of the terrible incidents that um, have happened in relatively recent times. Yeah, look, there, there there might be something to look at there, Joe. I I, I tend to agree with Audrey. I, I I think that this is multifaceted. I think that this is there's a tendency in Ireland sometimes, particularly where it's rural or farm orientated, to immediately lapse back into this kind of John B. Keane the field kind of thing, uh, and start start kind of you know positing the idea that there's this. You know, this is land related, particularly you now for 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 some of the, as I say, farm family tragedies that, that we've seen. I I I don't know, and no one knows yet. I think uh, about the the case in Lixnaw, but certainly the case in Cork, that the, the well publicised case, in, the tragic case in 
and Turk last year. I, I think sometimes we're, we're inclined maybe to make to, to, to adopt this kind of cliched idea that it's somehow land and it's this national obsession with land and the ownership of land. That's something that, you know, again, uh, I, I, I'm not a huge, I wouldn't be a huge advocate of that. And I don't like this tendency to automatically assume that that might be, that that would be at the heart of, particularly these, 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 these farm family tragedies. It's really, really fraught. And it's incredibly sensitive. It's incredibly sensitive. The, the question of, of access to, to, to firearms, there, there might be something there. There might be an angle there. But realistically, Joe, you know, uh, firearms are, are not something that's readily accessible to, to, um, to, um, to, to a large segment of the population in Ireland. Well, it's interesting. We were talking about this at home and um, my other half lived in Scotland for quite a long time. And, and she, we were talking about this last night, and she, she was saying to me that in Scotland, the gun laws, and you know, it has vast areas of rural land, are much tighter than they are here. And and she'd kind of been aware of it through her work. Mm. Um, and largely, she puts that down to the Dunblane school shooting. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I think yeah. I think Joe that it's it's, it's obfuscating the real issues of play. The firearm isn't the problem. It's the individual, the motivations of the individual to take up the firearm. You know, I think you need to look at look at it within a wider context. Um, if it's not going to be a gun, it's going to be a hatchet. It's going to be a knife. Yeah. But, um, but is that not exactly the same argument that's made in the United States around multiple shootings? Is that, is that is that exactly the same argument that is made there? That you know, well, well, well the, yeah. it's not it's not the it's not the gun. It's the person. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, you're comparing like with like there because you're looking at a federalized state system where there are different laws in terms of access to to gun control. Um, and it's very much seen as an identity um, issue in, in some of the southern parts of the states. I don't think that you can say that in Ireland. Um, I, I think the culture here around around gun control is very different. I don't think it's as prevalent um, in Irish society as it is in, in the states. Um, but just going back to, to, to the point that was made earlier, you know, in, in the context of murder-suicides, it's, it's not necessarily looking at the weapon that was used. It's why, the, you know, looking at why the individual committed the act. What were the precipitating factors in the run-up to the event? Um, and and as, as, as Cahill mentioned there, there's a myriad of, of issues to look at. Um, Audrey, as a matter of interest, what are your memories of 9-11 20 years ago tomorrow? I think like everybody else, I absolutely, you know, I remember where I was. Um, I, I live in Listowel in North Kerry and I remember being out for lunch with a with a friend of mine and just looking up and seeing, you know, those those planes crashing into um, to the Twin Towers. Um, and I, I know, you know, there's been so much coverage of it uh, over the past week. And we also heard stories of those who died as a result of the illnesses that they contracted from working on the site. I actually travelled to New York a couple of years ago um, when I, I worked as a journalist at Radio Kerry and made a documentary on um, the Irish men who um, who worked on the memorial on the on the two pools. Um, and every single one of them were able to recount stories of a feeling, you know, that feeling of eeriness, um, that feeling of sort of... Uh, that smell that still lingered down there, you know, years later, 12, 13, 14 years later. Um, and just that sense of serenity that surrounds the pools as well. 
Yeah, yeah, it's amazing to go back. I mean, I, I went back over a period of time, uh, you know, after 2001 and to New York visiting, and, and you go back at one stage a few years later, and they, they were literally still in the building, rebuilding phase, clearing the site, you know, it was such a massive site. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, as you said, they had that um, memorial, and, and then there was a lot of controversy about you know, the kind of memorial that, that it would be as well. Yeah, um, and I, I think, you know, it's interesting that it coincides with the withdrawal of um, the U.S. troops um, in Afghanistan as well. I think that's, that's something as well to consider um, in the context of the, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack. Now we're in the middle of our Friday morning coffee break and we're talking about this right now. Today we've had a national tragedy. The World Trade Center is, is no more. A terrible act of barbaric terrorism. Two planes. First one flew into one tower of the Twin Towers, then a second. Another building has gone up. Oh my God! Oh my God. One of the Twin Towers has collapsed. The entire top of the building just collapsed. This may be one of the worst tragedies ever to strike this country. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. Right, that's 9-11, 20 years ago tomorrow and our own Steve Tynan is with me during the coffee break. How are you, Steve? Not um, too bad, no. So, you're a young guy. I mean, do you have any memories of this? Or I've been thinking about this a lot, really, over the last um, over the last week. I was seven at the time that it happened, and I have very kind of few memories. From what I could remember, it was just always always the case that it had happened um really the only kind of vivid memory that i have of the entire day is my father just kneeling down in front of the television covering his face with his hands for hours on end um but uh i was kind of talking about it here in the office only a few days ago that one kind of view that i would have an or or kind of view that i would have had on it only recently as well is that i i'd sometimes just go on youtube and i'd look back at old news reports and of really just the, the big events like JFK's assassination and 9-11 is one that I would watch a, a good bit as well just to understand how people were reacting in that time and it's just kind of baffling to see it now that in the news at the time there was this complete denial that there possibly could have been any act of terror. I mean you literally see planes flying into the buildings on the screen and the news reporters don't react to it firstly for a long time and then afterwards they're just in denial and they're saying oh it must have been a gas explosion that must have just been a bird that flew by past the camera and all this kind of stuff and um it's, it's just it's crazy how it's changed the world now i mean people can't leave a bag unattended in the airport anymore without without causing panic so it's, it's crazy how public opinion and media opinion has changed on all of these events in the aftermath of this and we were talking to some younger people about it during the week as well on the show. Is it something that you would have learned in history books? It's not, because I would imagine that the history books... So I was in... Yeah, I was seven, so I'd imagine a lot of the history books weren't quite taking it into account by the time I was yeah. in school still. Maybe they're learning about it today, I'm not too sure. But um, so, I mean, And do you think for younger people it will have the same resonance tomorrow, the 20th anniversary of it, that it does for, for older generations? It's hard to tell. I think it it depends on how people would have approached it in, in the past. Like, I know for me personally, having kind of, I'd say, done done research on it and, you know, looked into this, the, the, the old news reports like that and read up on it and even just looking at everything that's happened since I mean you look at it it was a domino effect in causing I mean 
obviously what's happened in what's happening in Afghanistan at the minute you would say that that wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for 9-11 as well so um, I think people should be respectful and should be aware of the magnitude that that event actually was but I'm not 100% sure if they would yeah, uh, and the thing is, um, Colin McCarthy, that you know, it doesn't take any great insight to say that you know, it was one of the the where were you moments um, uh, in this century, and maybe in, in an Irish context and a global context as well. Of course, but in Irish context, it might be then Tishakli Overadkar's speech from Washington, from the states about the pandemic there at the start of it in twenty twenty. I mean, they're pivotal moments, weren't they? Do, do you, do, well, geez, I'm just. Shocked there, Steve the Seven. I, I, I was working with Carl Hannon in in uh, in Lyric, yes. uh, Joe, at the time. Yes. I was actually yes. doing. I was actually doing the, the kind of paper cuts, the, the paper coverage thing in Lyric. And I remember that day. It was later that day. I think it was around lunchtime. It started coming on on on, on, on Irish television, wasn't it? Um, but you, Joe, you and I will remember our our kind of uh, our mothers and fathers used to talk about the kind of JFK moment. Mm. You know where they were when they heard uh, that Kennedy had been assassinated. And I I always think nine eleven is is kind of our equivalent. It it is. It, it it is you know it's quite bizarre and I I read someplace that that actually people looking at the footage this week were actually more affected by it and more disturbed by it than they were at the time. Yeah. It still is one of these. It's still it, it the footage um, actually still shocks. It hasn't. You don't become kind of inured to it. You you don't become. You don't become complacent about it. If you look at it now, still, today, it still has the capacity to shock. The sheer scale of it, the sheer heartlessness of it, the cruelty of it, um, and the enormity of the, of, the, of the wound, you know, of the psychological wound that was inflicted on, on the Americans and by extension of all of us. Uh, it still is. It, it, it was. It, it is. It's. It, you know. I mean, we, we're, we're inclined to overstate these things, but it's a seismic. It's a before and after event yeah. in yeah. our yeah. lives. Certainly, it, I absolutely, think, you know? it's had an impact on on everybody. And we heard a lot of Limerick people chatting to us in the first hour of the show, and it's amazing how closely some of them were impacted uh, by it. And uh, we'll, we'll podcast some of that because it's really fascinating stories. Uh, uh, back to more kind of. Um, straightforward matters in a way, um, Steve, and, and I want to get your view on this, particularly as a younger person. We were talking to Kirsten Mayle um, of the Property Management Agency in the last hour, and he had some very strong things to say about students, um, the issues in Castle Troy this week, the party with 2,000 people, etc., etc. And um, you know, it's his view that it's got worse and that a lot of students simply do not care about the problems they cause or the destruction that they wreak. Um, what's your view on it? Um, it probably has gotten worse due to the lockdowns and the fact that nightclubs and pubs haven't been open in a sense to take the the pressure off, I guess, house parties happening and all that. Um, this talk about um, landlords pulling out and not renting to students and deciding to sell their houses and rent to professionals instead, though, I'd have to call that out because, I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't believe that for a second. At the, at the end of the day... If I could afford a house firstly, I know I'd love to be able to rent it out and actually make some money off it firstly. But I think that the big factors in why 
students are finding it harder to rent at the minute. Yes, there is more sales happening, but it's because house prices are astronomical at the minute. So people who own property will be more likely to sell at the minute than they would have been a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Whereas, and renting to professionals, I mean, anyone would rather do that. But now there's actually more of a demand. We've talked about this during the the start of the COVID pandemic that a lot of people were relocating away from Dublin or Cork or big cities and coming back but, home to... But what about the mentality, Steve, you know, around the parties, you know, like mm. a huge party like earlier in, in the week, you know... Is there any thought process at all that goes into, well, if we're making noise um, until five in the morning, then people in this um, you know, locale and people, I heard talk, spoke to people in Corbally who were affected by it, spoke to people in different parts of Castle Troy um, uh, and, and Ray Bogue certainly. Is, is it that they genuinely don't care or don't think or what? Um, it's a mixed bag once again. I think a lot. some people some people don't care some people don't really think about it and I mean like I think of when I went to college and I'm I'm not going to say that I was sitting I was sitting in the library for four years studying my books and all that I had my fun through college as well and I, I think a lot of people go to college with that kind of a mentality is that these are years that they want to enjoy and I mean obviously the lockdowns it's been going on for a year and a half now I think it's 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 frustrated people and it's kind of maybe made people a little bit less considerate about others around them in that kind of a case because they feel like they've had to suffer they've had to suffer and that they should be allowed to have their fun. Right. Um yeah. And and Cahill, I mean you know Castle Troy very well. What's your view? I mean, look, you know, no one no one no one uh no one kind of denies the right of youth. To, to kick up its heels. I, I, I don't think, and no one really had a problem with that. I often think that, that um, sometimes um, we should be looking elsewhere uh, if we're going to purse our lips uh, and, and, and get annoyed about this. I'd love to know, for instance, whether the off-licenses in, in these areas, whether they accept any responsibility. Uh, sometimes I think that maybe, um, maybe, uh, maybe some of the uh, people selling the students the, the booze should be maybe maybe they should be uh, assuming a little bit more responsibility for the kind of scenes that we saw last year in Castle. I thought, I thought, be honest, I thought they were absolutely disgraceful, uh, and I, I and and uh, I'm not absolving the students of it, but I'd be looking a lot harder at, at UL and some of the off license the guys selling the booths. I'd be looking to them a little bit harder for some answers about, you know, where this is going. There's another thing as well, Joe, as well, about, about, about the students and, and the party. Can we, can we stop listening to uh, all the pleas about student poverty and grants? Maybe, like, you know what I mean, if, they, if, they, if, 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 if you can afford to kind of move into a house in, in Castle Troy or Corbley or Mary Eye or wherever, wherever, if you can afford to move in there while, stu- while, while college isn't even on, uh, and and stay there for six or eight weeks parting, then you know you then money. I I would submit that money isn't really the problem that the students that the students unions would pretend it is. I mean, if you can do if you can kick up your heels for for four or six or eight weeks on a nightly basis, then money obviously isn't a factor. So there's, there's again, it's one of these issues. The more you look at it, the the, the, more, the more angles there are. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Well, listen, thank you very much for chatting to us this morning. Uh, Colin McCarthy of the ICMSA based here in Limerick, uh, our own Steve Tynan of Live 95 and Audrey Galvin, who's a lecturer in UL in journalism, uh, who had to leave us a little bit uh, early. And uh, we thank her as well. Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95.